All right. Now, uh, as I said, I'm not speaking this week because Ashley Nepper is speaking, and I'm excited to hear what she has to say. But before she comes up, let's stand together for the reading of the scripture, our, our teaching text for today. Our teaching text for today comes from Matthew 2, verses 13 through 18. All right, and it reads, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Say, uh, Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, which reads, A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and, refu and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Good morning. Uh, it's good to uh, be with you this morning, kind of in a, putting a different hat on this morning. Um, it has been a year uh, almost a year that we've been uh, living in unprecedented times, and I don't know about you, but I am ready for some precedented times. Uh, over the next few weeks, I'm sure you're going to hear all kinds of people reflecting on what the last year has done, kind of how things have changed, and, and where we're headed from here. Um, but yeah, almost a year ago, um, we took our first Sunday off in 18 months, and while we were gone, the world fell apart, and so <laughs> we're a little nervous about taking another Sunday off. <laughs> you can pray for us in that, but um, it's, been, it's been quite the year. Uh, I'm happy to report that in the last year, uh, we have figured out how to meet together in a safe way. Uh, we have not had uh, any transmissions of COVID here at the church, which is a huge uh, praise the Lord. We just weren't sure uh, what that would look like or what to expect, uh, but we're really grateful for that. Um, but the last, uh, since we began meeting uh, together again in May, uh, church has been just a little bit different, hasn't it? Uh, and so this morning I have a couple of encouragements before I uh, get rolling, um, but I just want to uh, take a moment to kind of reflect on where we've been and where we're heading. Uh, the first thing uh, that I want to encourage you about this morning is it's been a year of people spending a lot of time alone. And research is just starting to come out about how difficult this year has been uh, and how our mental health has suffered in this time of not being connected and not having life be normal and not being able to see people's smiles and all those uh, things that we've kind of had to learn how to live with. Uh, but because of that, I think it's a really great opportunity uh, for us to invite people to church. Uh, people have been isolated, uh, and maybe as things start to open up and people feel a little bit more comfortable, they get vaccinated and, and start to feel a little safer, 
uh, coming back and being with people, uh, it's a really, really great time uh, to get connected to a healthy community, uh, a healthy body of Christ, and we would love for Grace Community to be that. So uh, the first encouragement I have is just pray about somebody who uh, you might want to invite to church in the next uh, few weeks and months as, uh, as people start to feel comfortable. And if you have friends who are still really, really uncomfortable, um, send them a link, watch with them online, uh, and then call them afterwards to talk about it and pray with, pray with them and connect with them. Uh, just find a way to connect. I know that everybody has people uh, they know who are struggling. Maybe you're struggling, and it's it's a good way to, to connect with somebody. The second thing is uh, we have been operating here at church uh, kind of on a let's get everything that has to be done done uh, sort of philosophy for the last uh, few 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 months. Uh, and I would like to encourage all of you uh, to think about a way that maybe you could serve here at church. Uh, we have uh, relied pretty heavily on a really small group of volunteers. Uh, before the COVID shutdown, on an average Sunday, we had between 20 and 25 people serving here on a Sunday morning. Uh, and since COVID, that number has shrunk immensely. Uh, we've been kind of relying on the same number of people uh, to serve in certain ways. Uh, so there are plenty of ways for you to serve. Uh, you can sit behind the computer uh, and still be part of service. You can uh, play with kids. We have uh, all kinds of opportunities uh, to serve in the kids area. You can greet people as they come in. If you know how to make coffee, we can put you to work doing that. Uh, so uh, there are plenty of ways to serve, and we believe that the church functions at its best when everybody is doing their part and everybody's pitching in, uh, and that is uh, one of the things that we believe. And we also think that serving is good for you. Uh, it's good for everybody. Uh, it makes you feel like you've done something, like you've contributed, and it's good for your heart and soul, and it's a good way to make friends. So uh, that's my pitch. Pray about who you can invite and pray about how you can serve in the coming, uh, coming months. For those of you with kids, this year has been especially uh, challenging, kids at home, uh, and maybe you have noticed something like I have noticed. <laughs> no two kids are the same. Have you noticed that? If you raised kids, I'm sure you've noticed that. Um, at our house, we've tried to be kind of creative about passing all of our extra time together. Uh, during that process, we've noticed that uh, there were things about being home more that were really great for some of our kids and really, really difficult for others of our kids. Uh, it's made some of our kids feel really frustrated. Some of the activities we planned went over like gangbusters with some of our kids and were like the hardest thing ever for others of our kids. Um, and it's amazing to me that we can do something as a family. <clears throat> Our kids have essentially the same variables. They live in the same house. They have the same parents. We have two sets of kids who are really close in age, so they're basically the same age. Uh, they ate the same breakfast. They have been disciplined in essentially the same, same manner. Uh, but the way they experience things can be night and day. One kid just had the best day ever, and one kid is like ready to run away from home because it's been the worst experience of their lives. Why is that? Kids are different. People are different. And one way I think that is kind of illustrated in the Bible is the different accounts of Jesus' birth. Uh, in Luke, uh, which is our traditional Christmas story, it's the one that makes us feel cozy and has all kinds of nostalgia atta attached to it, uh, there are four songs surrounding Jesus' birth. 
Everywhere you turn, someone is breaking into song, praising God, which is absolutely the correct response to, uh, to this miracle. Uh, but it's, it's kind of the music man version of the nativity story. Uh, there's, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, songs and praises, and uh, people are singing about the way they feel about things, which many of us do just uh, naturally. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of music and dance, and it's kind of celebratory. By contrast, uh, Matthew begins his retelling with a genealogy. And in his genealogy, he makes sure that all of the iffy parts of uh, Jesus' family line are highlighted. All the places where the story is a little bit less than sunny, Matthew makes a special note to mention those names specifically. And we're talking about ladies of the night, other people's wives, widows, murder, it's all there. Uh, within the first paragraph of Matthew's nativity story, there's an unplanned pregnancy and divorce is on the table. Immediately, uh, there's, there's a big crisis here. Um, so right after Jesus is born, they're fleeing because they're all in danger of, you know, losing uh, this guy who really has come to save the world. And so it's kind of an important, important character in the story. Uh, so Without any warning, Joseph has to pack his family up and travel over 400 miles uh, to keep them safe. And here's the real kicker. Their minivan didn't even have a DVD player. <laughs> Some of you have been on a road trip and know that's kind of an essential. It would be much like uh, waking in the middle of the night with a strong conviction that you needed to load your family up and drive to Fargo uh, without a plan, without snacks, without really any place to stay once you get there. So it's definitely not my idea of a, of a good story. <clears throat> if you've had children or spent a lot of time with kids, you know that this was asking quite a lot of Joseph here. Matthew and Luke are telling the same story, but they're coming at it from completely different angles. Luke's account is wonderful, and many of us have had experiences and seasons of our lives, and we're kind of wired that way uh, to uh, think everything's kind of wonderful, and things are great, and there are 76 trombones, and everybody's got tap shoes, and they know the same song. Uh, but others of us, <clears throat> things look a little bit more like Matthew's version of the story. Things have just not turned out the way we expected. There are some kind of shady parts of the story. There are some dark places. There's some pain. There's some disappointment. There's some expectations that have gone really unmet. Um, but I think uh, Matthew wants us to be sure uh, that we know Jesus' birth, though it was very miraculous and wonderful and, and, and worthy of uh, praise and adoration to God, but it, his birth landed Jesus smack dab in the middle of real life. Uh, Jesus landed in the middle of a very, very real story in a very, very real family with all kinds of crazy relatives with crazy backstories. It was not a white picket fence, you know, balloons and cigars coming home from the hospital. It was, it was, it was a real story. Um, <clears throat> I hesitate to do this this morning because it's the kind of thing that they tell you in homiletics not to do uh, when you are preaching. Uh, but I'm going to do something this morning. You have to promise not to let your mind wander too much. Come back with me uh, after we get through this. Otherwise, my homiletics professor is going to be really mad. Um, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to say this. Uh, somebody once told me, and if you owned a radio in 1999, you have a song going through your head right now. If you've seen the movie Shrek, there's a song going through your head right now. I'm going to let that linger for just a second. 
So uh, if, you, if you're like me, you're transported back to 1999, and you're in a red LeBaron convertible with the top down. Your friend, who just got her school permit, is taking you to get snow cones, and things are about as cool as they're going to get right now. Uh, so, but if you're like me, you're recognizing that song, you're thinking about maybe where you would have been, and without uh, me even giving you the first verse, most of you are kind of, you know what, what song I'm talking about. You've got Smash Mouth uh, in your head now. I'm sorry for that. Join me, if you will, back to the text. Matthew used kind of a similar technique, a similar collective memory, if you will, in his retelling. Uh, in verse 15, Matthew uh, calls back to a text his readers would be very familiar with. They would know this song, if you will. He writes, uh, and so, so, so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew's quoting Hosea here, and all of his readers would know exactly what he was saying because it's a really unique text. Out of Egypt I called my son. It doesn't say out of Egypt I called my children, which is the way the Israelites are referred to throughout most of the Bible. They would know this specific text, out of, Israel, out of Egypt I called my son, is in Hosea. And if you don't know the story of Hosea, uh, it is, again, not a fairy tale. Uh, Hosea uh, is instructed by God to take a wife uh, who is unfaithful to him. They have children together. Uh, Hosea remains faithful. His wife remains unfaithful. It's this back and forth, really difficult time for Hosea. Uh, so the, the readers, Matthew's original audience, would know we're thinking Hosea here. We're thinking all the pain and hurt uh, that, uh, you know, kind of as an allegory for Israel, for Israel and God, all these things, it's going through their heads. So they're going into this other place of darkness and pain, uh, kind of difficult things. And this is the part of the story Matthew is sure to highlight. He goes out of his way to make sure you know the backdrop of pain and brokenness in the world Jesus occupies and the way he occupies it. For so many of us, the current state of affairs has just left us discouraged. Things have not gone as planned long before the pandemic started. Uh, after a year of cancellations and new normals, we are tired, we are disappointed, and we are hurting. And maybe you've been asking lately, is this how things are supposed to be? Is this Groundhog's Day just the way things are? Maybe you've experienced a loss or a failure that has made you feel disqualified. You've experienced something so difficult, you might think there's just no way forward. Maybe you've made choices that have left you feeling like you're out of options, like you've gotten yourself kind of painted into a corner, and there's just, there's no place for you anymore. And I hope today that you'll see that Matthew is issuing an invitation to each of us who have ever felt this kind of disappointment. The first question I want to pose to you today is, what is Jesus leading you out of? <coughs> what is Jesus leading you out of? If you feel discouragement, Jesus is offering encouragement. If you feel stuck in your pattern of choices, Jesus is holding out his hand and welcoming you into a new life and new patterns. If you feel disqualified, Jesus sees you as uniquely qualified. Uh, not only that, but uh, 
when Matthew introduces Jesus' birth, he doesn't go into a long explanation about um, kind of all the things that Jesus is. Uh, Luke gives us this really beautiful uh, kind of long uh, explanation of Jesus' kingship and all those things, uh, the line of David, and it's really wonderful and it's important. Uh, But Matthew makes sure we know that Jesus' name is Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew wants his readers to know that Jesus came to be with us. Jesus has become God among us, and he's experiencing our humanness, our pain, our disappointment. He is God with us. So, where do you need Jesus most today? He is there with you. Jesus isn't leading you from afar. He's not leading you from a place of, uh, uh, of, of kind of being away from you, calling you out into some unknown place. He is with you. He knows your pain. He's experienced your pain and your disappointment. Uh, He is with you, and he is well acquainted with that pain and suffering and uncertainty uncertainty in our, uh, our broken world. Knowing all these things and being well acquainted with these things, he is leading you not from afar, but from the middle of your situation. He's leading you into something new. So today, what is Jesus leading you out of? Is he, uh, how is he offering you empathy and support as he, he leads you? What is Jesus leading you out of? That's the first question today. So uh, in this series, uh, one of the things I love is that we're looking at um, some ways that Jesus echoes back to the story of Exodus. We're calling this series uh, New Exodus. Uh, in our text for today, uh, Joseph, Mary, and Joseph are fleeing into safety in Egypt because Herod uh, hears about, he hears from the wise men um, something that he sees as kind of a threat. Jesus is threatening his power, a new king. Uh, So in a pretty cowardly move, uh, he orders all the baby boys in Bethlehem uh, and the surrounding areas under the age of two to be killed. If you're familiar with the book of Exodus, this might sound a little bit familiar. In the story of Moses, Pharaoh becomes concerned by the strength he he believes that the Hebrews might be uh, building, the children of God are gaining. He sees their growing numbers as a threat to his power. Perhaps they're going to start to get get some bright idea about a rebellion. So he orders all Hebrew babies under the age of two to be thrown into the Nile. Moses' mother, in a move that was pretty savvy, puts her baby boy Moses in the Nile in a cozy little basket to be found by Pharaoh's daughter and rescued. So, let's look at these parallels. Shortly after Jesus' birth, he's rushed away to safety to avoid the wrath of a jealous king who had ordered all the young boys to be killed. That goes back to Exodus. Pharaoh fears the Hebrews, and he orders that every baby boy would be thrown into the Nile. But Moses is spared because his mother hid him in a basket in the river. Likewise, Jesus was spared uh, was spared because uh, his mother hid him in Egypt. And this is really beautiful stuff. The way Matthew weaves his narrative, making sure to throw all these little Easter eggs in. Uh, Those of you who are uh, into movies and things, Easter eggs, you're always looking for the next clue uh, to show us these beautiful little similarities. The way Matthew um, arrives on the scene, uh, sorry, the way Moses arrives on his scene to set the people free, Matthew's making sure that you see some of these things and it signals that Jesus is coming to set all of us free. It's beautiful, and it's redemptive, and it's poetic, and we should see these parallels. Uh, We should see Jesus coming as a new Moses to set all of us free. 
as we're looking at parallels, I want to take one, one more step backwards just so we can get a slightly wider, wider view of uh, some of the beauty in these parallels. For Moses and the people of Israel, Egypt was a place of bondage and slavery. <clears throat> Moses came to set God's people free from this place of slavery, slavery and he led them out after many twists and turns, uh, out into the promised land, but out from Egypt. Egypt was a place of pain for God's people. It was a place of bondage and disappointment and death and hard work. Uh, it's where all the bad guys were. It's a place where uh, a great many of the enemies of the people of God lived. Turn with me just for a moment to the book of Psalms. Uh, we're going to land in Psalm 87. And this is kind of a unique psalm. It's only seven verses, uh, and it's, it's unique both in its style and uh, in its content. So let's start in verse 4. I will record Rahab, and Rahab here uh, is a poetic uh, name for Egypt. So we can read, I will record Egypt and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush. And I will say, this, was, this one was born in Zion. In Z indeed, of Zion it will be said, <clears throat> this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. So what the psalmist is doing here is taking all of these, uh, if you've heard many uh, Old Testament stories, you're recognizing Rahab, Egypt, bad place, Babylon, another bad place, uh, Philistia, that was Goliath, bad place, Tyre, Cush, all these places uh, were where the people uh, who were enemy, these nations were enemies of the people of God. And through this, through, uh, through the psalmist, God is saying, these people are mine. He's turning this on its head. All of these places that housed enemies, these nations that rose up against the people of God, they are mine. I am adopting them. They, uh, it says they, uh, they will be counted among those who acknowledge me. That means they're in. They're all in. Uh, God is, uh, it's language of adoption. These nations are becoming mine. Uh, they, they, they will be born in Zion. He's changing their birth certificates. They are now all of us. Just as God rescued Moses out of the Nile to lead his people from Egypt to freedom, he rescues Jesus into Egypt, both to signal his coming to lead all of the people from God, people of God from bondage into freedom, but also to illustrate his perfect skill for redemption. See, we're going from Egypt, which is a place of uh, a great danger, and rede he's redeeming it, leaving Egypt not as a place of bondage, but refuge, and sending Jesus out to begin his act of setting all of the people free permanently. Uh, <clears throat> imagine with me, if you will, uh, that you're an Egyptian Christ Christian uh, reading through the Bible. Uh, you've got to feel a little pang when you read how Egypt kept God's people in slavery, uh, what, a, what a terrible time that was for them. Uh, but Egyptians are looped back in here. He is redeeming the very land where God's people were held captive. Egypt is no longer villain, but refuge. In the place of uh, shelter and safety, out of which Jesus is called and goes on into the business of redeeming all of us. 
The writer uh, Chad Bird says it this way, if our God is anything, he is un an unstoppable narrator. His ink keeps flowing. He keeps the story rolling. He is the storyteller who transforms a catastrophe into what Tolkien calls a you-catastrophe, which is a sudden and unexpected happy turn of events in which light is born out of darkness. Catastrophe to you-catastrophe. For many of us, we have found ourselves in situations that seem really, really hopeless, a relationship that seems damaged beyond repair, a debt that just feels way too great to climb out of, a situation that's been plagued by difficulty and despair, and today I want you to know that God is a God of restoration. The story he is telling, the story that he has invited each of us to be part of is moving forward and he is taking twists and turns uh, that may seem a little bit arbitrary and frankly a waste of time, uh, but it is exactly where he wants to go to illustrate his redemptive nature. Um, <clears throat> in the story of Jesus, uh, it is odd that they had to flee Herod because we see in just a few verses, Herod dies within a year. There were other ways to solve this problem <clears throat> that didn't involve a family having to flee and <clears throat> children uh, having under two having to uh, be put to death. God could have uh, had Herod die earlier. <coughs> Excuse me. He could have um, helped the wise men with their directions so that they wouldn't have had to stop uh, and, and ask for directions and tip Herod off to what they, were, what, what they were headed to do. But that's not how the story went. God called Joseph and his family to Egypt so that he could call them back out. And in the process, he took a land that had been stained with the blood of the people of God and redeemed it so that we would know not only did Jesus come, from, uh, come for the children of God, for the Israelites, but he also came to redeem those who had once been enemies. And an enemy's land would now become a safe haven for the Savior of all of us. So today as we close, the second question I want you to consider is how can you embody this new exodus? How can you, uh, you can, how can you become part of this uh, redemption story uh, that Jesus is writing? What situations in your life might God be working even now to redeem? And how might he be whispering to you today to participate and partner with him in that redemption? Maybe it's an apology. Maybe it's uh, committing yourself to prayer. Maybe it's an invitation to someone. It could be a number of things. Uh, maybe... Uh, in these last few months, you have let a political or some other kind of opinion uh, become uh, more important than a relationship. Maybe you have been on a long detour that has seemed like a waste of time, uh, but God is writing a story of redemption uh, through that detour, through that thing that might seem totally pointless. Uh, and I invite you today to just consider how how might you be taking part in, in this new exodus? How might you embody uh, this redemption that God is, is, is calling us all into? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, today for uh, coming and being God with us, for coming and sitting with us in our pain and hurt, in our disappointment, in our confusion at the way things are, 
uh, and helping us see a path forward. And not just a path forward so that, um, so that things can be better for us, which is, is part of the story, uh, but carving a path forward so that we can uh, embody your new exodus, so that we can become part of the story of redemption that you're writing in each of our lives, Lord. Father, today I pray that you would help us to see uh, the ways maybe that you, you are both leading us out of the situation we're in, out of, out of some of our hurt and pain, and what you might be leading us into, into forgiveness, into uh, a phone call, into a conversation with a friend, into uh, some other act that, uh, that we know uh, you might be whispering to us now. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds might be open to those things, uh, that you would whisper those things to us, and that we would, um, we would know that you're with us as we act on those things. Father, we love you, and we, uh, we thank you for your goodness and grace. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody, for being with us today. Uh, you can go today. Thanks. <laughs>